Many of you would know that my wife and I have four boys, and when our kids were young, we visited Southbank in Brisbane, and our oldest boy was probably about six. We checked out some of the sights and sounds of Southbank, and then we thought, oh, you know, four boys, need a bit of culture, so we'll go to the art gallery, right? And we thought, what better art gallery to go to than the gallery of modern art at... Um, at South Bank there, they had this special exhibition on at the time where um, it, it was kind of very relatable for kids. It was in the school holidays, so we went in there, paid the price of admission. There were people everywhere. Like, it was crazy. We, uh, we got our tickets. We, we, uh, we jumped on the escalator and went up the top. And when we got to the top, we only counted three Sondergel boys, all right? Uh, and anyone who's got kids knows what I'm talking about, right? If you have got three kids... The number three is burned in your brain, right? Because you're always counting your kids. And we get to the top of the escalator, uh, and one of our boys, a three- to four-year-old, wasn't with us anymore. We had three. It wandered off. This is like the greatest fear of any parent, right? This sea of humanity and this tiny little boy that was separated from his parents. And so, of course, we were like... Any parents and fear started coursing through our veins. The images started popping up in our heads of all the horrible things that could, that could happen. Uh, that flooded our minds. We started searching high and low. Ange and I split up and, and, and we took some kids and, and then the other one took uh, the other child. Uh, we, we went up and down the escalators. We broke into a jog in our desperate search for him. Um, why? Well, because we love him and because he was too young to do life on his own. He, he needed his parents. He was, he was vulnerable on his own. He needed his parents. He was loved and he shouldn't be on his own. He needed his parents. He was one of four and he should have been with his family, right? He was supposed to be with us. We were all supposed to be together. There was safety in the family. There was provision for him in the family we were his people and he was our guy but in that moment it was broken and uh, I actually talked with him about it yesterday and he talked about how worried he was uh, he remembers it he remembers that moment and and um but in that moment uh, the, the fear for him and the fear for us what, what was happening we, there was there was a break he was isolated and, and we were incomplete. We're in the middle of working through the Gospel of John. It's the night before Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus is running through a bunch of really important things with his disciples. Uh, and, and, you know, we've been pumping the brakes, or I've been pumping the brakes on John 14 as we've been going through it, because it's like we just, we just want to uh, suck everything out of what Jesus is saying that we possibly can. Uh, we, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the connection between love and obedience and how you can't split those two and and last week we looked at how Jesus prays to the father and asked for a, a helper for us the Holy Spirit and today we're going to look at one verse and I think it's about a dozen words um, and we're just going to hang out there today and it's it's verse 18 of John 14 I'll not leave you as orphans I will come to you so we're going to look at three things today we're going to look at Orphans, orphaned, and unorphaned. All right, that's where we're going today. Here's the first one, orphans. And we're just going to spend most of this point looking at 
the text here from John 14, verse 8, I'll not leave you as orphans, I'll come to you. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying to the disciples, something's about to happen that's going to make you like an orphan. That's what he's saying. And, and you could ask the question, what's, what's an orphan? And it's pretty straightforward. Most people know what an orphan is. An orphan is someone who doesn't have their parents anymore. Typically, an orphan is when the parents have died. In particular, both parents. Um, you go to the Greek uh, interpretation of uh, the Greek word that's translated orphan there, and, and it kind of wraps up that same kind of idea about uh, children not having their parents, but it's also... Uh, speaks to the, the separation that would happen between an aide or an associate or a close, a close friend. Sorry, I shouldn't say aide, just a close friend or associate. Um, kind of like someone so close that you'd say, not having you around would be like a child deprived of their parents. That's, that's the kind of idea behind the word orphan here. So it begs the question, what is Jesus saying is about to happen that's going to create that problem, right? That's what he's saying here. Um, and that's a big question. Somehow Jesus and the disciples are going to be separated uh, and then he's going to come back. So, so what is that? Like what, what's actually going on? Like to understand this verse, you need to know what that is. And, and I want to suggest to you today that there are at least three options for this. And I'm going to give you the three options. Here's the first one. Jesus could be talking about his death and his resurrection. He's about to go to the cross and die. In fact, it's the next day. He and the disciples are going to be separated from each other. It's going to be tragic, but they're going to see each other again. When do they see each other again? After he is raised from the dead. He's going to come to them. Um, and you can kind of see that in the next verse, in John chapter 14, verse 19, where Jesus says, you won't see me in a little bit, but then you will see me. And it seems to be speaking of the resurrection. Well, let me give you another option in terms of uh, what, what does Jesus mean by, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. When? Well, it could actually be Jesus' ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Some people have said this. Um, this is the part where the resurrected Jesus goes back to heaven. And then there's this gap, Right? between when Jesus goes back to heaven and when the Holy Spirit comes. And, and so some people have said that's Jesus in the person of the Holy Spirit coming uh, to the disciples. Um, but, but the tricky thing about that one, and, and this is just a, a little bit of an interesting one, is that um, John never really talks that way about Jesus coming to people in the Holy Spirit. Right? And it's clear from other scripture, but John doesn't. So you just go, oh... Maybe it's that one, maybe it's not. It's just kind of a little bit inconclusive. Now, <laughs> this kind of thing is not uncommon with John. If you've been with us when we've been preaching through John, John has this way of saying things and many multiple things at the same time, right? Um, what, what, I want to, uh, what I want to show you, though, is that if you go back in John chapter 14 to the last time John talks about um, people coming, Jesus coming to people, he's actually talking about the second coming, right? So that, that even becomes interesting. Now we've got a third option that's on the table. Is it Jesus' death and resurrection? Is it the ascension and the Holy Spirit coming? Is it the second coming? Um, you know, this, this is the verse in John 14. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you, may, you also may be where I am. Um, I don't know, there's three. Which one is it? Right? Which one is it? I mean, if you pushed me and you said, Pete, you have to nail down one of them, I, I'm probably going to go with Jesus' death and resurrection. But let me tell you something about Jesus' death and resurrection. I don't really think about the resurrection appearances. It's a bit, it's not the same as when Jesus walked with the disciples before his death. He kind of pops up and then he disappears. And, and for me, that, like, there's a little bit of a problem there because it's like, oh, if you're with your people now and then you're going to die and you're going to be resurrected and then you're going to come to people and that's going to deal with their orphan thing, it's like, well, sometimes he pops up and then he walks through a door and then he shows up to some people and then he's not around. Other times it's like, well, that doesn't fully resolve it for me either. I, I, just, I just don't quite um, get there. And so... <clears throat> What I want you to do, um, and if you've been around Restoration Church long enough, you know, Peter does this, right? He just kind of paints you in the corner. And I'm, I'm going to tell you what I, what I do with this and how I understand it, and I think it's really consistent and helpful with the rest of Scripture. And it, it involves you needing to zoom out and look at the wider landscape um, because if you do that, you'll notice Jesus will be coming and going a bit, <laughs> right? And here's, here's a flowchart. Uh, down the bottom, which reflects that. Uh, Jesus is going to die, so he's going to go. And then he's going to be raised from the dead, then he's going to come, right? And then he's going to ascend, so he's going to go again, right? And then the Holy Spirit's going to come, and so God's going to come close again. And then he's coming again later on, right? So y you could actually say there's a lot of coming and going <laughs> for, uh, for Jesus, all right? Um, and and these, these are kind of all your options. And, and so what you could do is you could go, oh, we just pick one uh, and work out which one we think is kind of the best and go with that. But I, I think John is actually bringing something else out here. And I think what John's bringing out is he's bringing out something that's been happening throughout the whole of human history, throughout the whole of biblical history. And you know what that is? It's this. We regularly get orphaned and God comes to us. That's what I think he's saying. Now, there's a specific expression of it in the person of Christ, but I think that's the essence of what John's saying. So let's get on to the second point. That's orphans. Uh, second point is orphaned. <coughs> now, have a look at the text again, verse 18 there. I want to ask you this question. When Jesus says, I'll not leave you as orphans, is Jesus making an objective reality statement about them? All right? So let me specifically say it this way. Did the disciples, when Jesus died, stop having God as their father? Of course not. Of course not. All right? Um, they're still part of his family. They didn't become actual orphans at that point. That's not how it works. And you could even argue with Jesus about it, right? And I don't recommend that, okay? Because when you argue with Jesus, you always lose because he always speaks what's true and right. But you could argue about it. Um, you could go up to him and say, look, the disciples are not actually becoming orphans, Jesus. 
They're not becoming orphans when you die. They're still, they've still got a father. They're still, they're still your sheep, even though you're dead, right? They're not actually being isolated and, and orphaned. You get the idea? You, you with me? And you know what I reckon Jesus would say to you? He'd say, yeah, I know what you're saying, but that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. So, so what is Jesus talking about when he says, I'll not leave you as orphans? You, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about a personal, present tense, lived reality. That's what Jesus is talking about. He wasn't going to be with them anymore in a personal, present tense, lived reality. And, and someone might go, yeah, but isn't God everywhere? And it's like, yes, he is. He's always been everywhere. But it's not talking about that. It's talking about a personal, present tense, lived reality. Right? What is Jesus saying? You're not going to have your friend anymore. His, his personal presence is actually not going to be there with you. And what he's saying is him going, his personal presence is as bad as my son not having his parents. It's as bad as my son being disconnected from his family. Now, I know what some of you talk about, right? And, so, you know, it's like, and, and I know what some of you think. It's like, dude, like, this is like a cracked record. We just hear this over and over and over again. I understand that there's some people in the room here that play Sondi Bingo, all right? Which involves me talking about particular topics and they just sit there and tick it off. It's go, yeah, he did that one. He's back in Genesis again today, all right? It's like if you've been here long enough, you just go, man, are we, can we just move on to something else? I'm like, well, what else do you think this scripture means that we're looking at today? You tell me. I mean, scripture is absolutely shot through with verses and teaching and encouragement and exhortation about the personal presence of God and living in it. That's what it is. This is what I think is the essence of what Jesus is saying. Being an orphan is about being separated from the personal presence of God. That's what it is. Real time, present tense, lived reality. So if I ask you that, if I ask you to think about the whole of the scriptures and what you know of them, even your own life, is there ebbing and flowing in Jesus coming and going? And you living in his personal presence and other times not living in his personal presence in your life? 100%. 100%. We get orphaned and God comes to us. Now God is everywhere and he never forsakes us. But there are times when we are disconnected from the personal presence of God. I'm not saying that all of those verses about never will I leave you, never will I forsake you are not true. I'm just saying there's a personal presence a lived reality that goes on that's really really important and you know what this is like right because you can actually be in the personal presence of someone and not be in their personal presence have you had that one where you you're standing there talking to someone and they're looking at something behind you and you're going i'm with you but what you're not in my presence and, and we're not actually together at this point 
Or, or you're, you're having a conversation with someone and you think that you're kind of in each other's personal presence and then you work out the other person's thinking about something totally different to what you're actually talking about and they, they don't follow where you're going. You get what I'm saying? You can be in the presence of someone and not be in their personal presence. It works with us and, and it works also with God. Now, if you want to talk some more about this theologically, I would love to, right? To set aside about four hours, right? Because I've been thinking, reading, and, and, and just working on this stuff for a while. But this is, this is the reality, and this is the tension. So in one sense, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you is absolutely true. But then there's a functional, present tense, lived sense of living in the personal presence of God. And so given that, given what I put on the screen, I want to look at... <clears throat> excuse me, two key things, uh, just to close this point out. <coughs> First one's this, um, how we get orphaned. Now, this one's uh, pretty straightforward. Um, the question that we're really asking is, how do we get disconnected from the personal presence of God? That's really the question that I'm asking here. And there's three main ways. Right, here's the first one, and this might be a bit of a spin out for you, but you just the facts are there in scripture, right? And so you've just got to go with this. And the first one is that you can be disconnected from God's personal presence because of something that He's doing. Um, God can do things that gives us a sense of being orphaned in reality. Now, it's not wrong to do the things that He's doing, right? But he does things and it leaves us as orphans um, for a bit. Now, before I explain some examples of this, um, you just need to know something. God's a person. He's actually the only completely free person in the universe. I read a bit of an article this week from this scientist who's been studying free will for uh, the last 40 years or something and he's worked out that we don't really have it and it's like okay well the bible actually says that we've lost most of that as well too so uh you know you probably could have spent your time doing something else but it was good good that he spent his time doing that um but god is the only completely free being in the universe and he's here's the thing he is present in all of the universe but he can express his personal presence whenever and wherever he pleases okay he can he can just do that. The verse that we're looking at today is a good example of. Now, God's plan is that Jesus dies on the cross. And if John is talking about Jesus' death and resurrection and the disciples being made orphans, which I think he is. I don't think he's only talking about that, but I think he is. Um, he is going to take an action that takes him away from the disciples. Do you see what I'm saying? And it's actually going to create a sense of being an orphan in the disciples. Um, you think about <clears throat> the plan for Jesus to ascend to heaven. And it's like the Holy Spirit doesn't come like that straight after it. It's a little while after that it happens, right? So Jesus is going back to heaven. There's a sense in which there's a bit of an orphan kind of thing going on. And then the Holy Spirit comes. I mean, you can even see it in the Old Testament. And, and the, the two that I'm, I'm just going to cite are actually responses of God to people's uh, sin and their rebellion against him. One of them is in Ezekiel, where the presence of God, the personal presence of God leaves the temple because of people's rebellion and never really comes back. 
Uh, another one is in Amos, where Amos says the people have been so um, rebellious that they'll go searching for the word of the Lord, for God to be speaking, and they won't find it because he's, he's pulled out. I mean, you can even go back, for those playing bingo today, you can go back to Genesis chapter 3 and the fall of humanity where God kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden. What, what was special about the garden? What was the first temple? That's where the personal presence of God was in a really rich kind of way. And, and I want to say to you that, that God is not wrong for doing any of these things. He can, he can do as he sees fit. And so I just want to throw it out to you, and it's a little controversial maybe for some of you, but sometimes we can be separated from the personal presence of God because of something that he's doing. It doesn't mean he's not with you. It doesn't mean he's forsaking you. It just means maybe he's up to something. Maybe he's up to something. Here's a second way that we can, um, we can get orphaned. We can get orphaned because of what we do. And, and if you had to put a weighting on this one this one is probably the one that does it almost all of the time I mean they're pretty exceptional circumstances that I've quoted about the things that God's up to basically the issue most of the time is with us right God's a person and we're meant to relate to him face to face when we sin we turn our face away from him we prefer another and we disobey what he has actually said and so in reality when you sin Every single time that you sin and you disobey God and you love something else more, you're actually stepping out of the personal presence of God. That's what you're doing, right? If, if I was here and God was standing there in person and we were face to face, sin is when I turn away from him and I go after something else and I love something else. And by definition, that's what it is. You've actually stepped out of the personal presence of God, and you can see verses all over the scriptures about this, right? Places absolutely littered with them. Uh, here's one from Isaiah 59 But your iniquities have separated you from your God, your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And you just need to know in the Bible, whenever it talks about God's face, it's talking about his personal presence. That's what it is. So your sins hide his personal presence. So you can't get to it. And in fact, you don't even want to get to it because when you sin, it's like I'm not wanting to get to it. I want to get to something else. And we step out. It's the way sin works. It's the way it always works. Those who are near are not near anymore. But it's not just the dynamic of, or the mechanism of how sin works. It's actually the effect as well. The dynamic is a stepping out of the presence of God, but the effect of it is being out of the presence of God, the personal presence of God. And, and here's the bottom line. Sin makes you an orphan, even if it is just for a moment. All right? So God, what God does, what we do, and the last one I want to look at is what trouble does to us. You know, we can get orphaned because of what trouble does to us, the effect of it. And uh, I'm just, just like, you know, um, I'm, I'm just loving the word trouble. <laughs> it's just a great word. You know, sometimes people have this debate about suffering, you know, because that's kind of the word that people use. It's like, oh, is it suffering? Is it not suffering? It's like, okay, the catch-all term is trouble. 
you could go up to somebody, you could go, did you have any trouble today? And they go, oh, I had trouble today. And you're not in that debate about whether it's suffering or how hard it is or whether it's persecution or whatever. So I just had trouble. Now, you might be interested to know that uh, in the scriptures, in the NIV translation, there's more than double, uh, when, you, when you compare the words trouble and suffering, suffering uh, shows up as an actual word in scriptures less than half the time that trouble shows up. Um, and I, I, I just, trouble's a good word. Uh, to use, to describe so many things, and I reckon we should use it more. Um, So trouble, speaking of trouble, where does trouble come from? Trouble comes to us and it can make us an orphan. Uh, Well, it comes from two main places. Um, You could argue for more. Uh, Sometimes trouble comes from us. Sometimes it comes from outside of us. Um, Sometimes we do things that bring trouble upon, upon ourselves. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You do things, you go, now I'm in a whole bunch of trouble. And so, yes, you are in trouble. And no one else did that. You, you brought that upon yourself. But sometimes trouble just comes from outside of us. And, you know, both sources of trouble um, have got headaches in terms of dealing with them, right? Because if you have brought trouble upon yourself, you'll be saying inside... I have to stay in this. There's, if someone offers me a leg up to get out of this, it's like you go, no, I've got to stay here because I brought it upon myself. If trouble comes at you from outside and it really, really troubles you, one of the things that it can do is it can actually mess you with your relationship with God and you start asking questions about whether God's good and what he was doing. Did he fall asleep at the wheel? Here's the bottom line. Um, you could spend a lot of time on a lot of these things, but uh, here's, here's the bottom line. Trouble, wherever it comes from, tends to split us off from God. That's what it does. Um, you, you, I'm sure that you can see the effect of this in your own life. You know, one of the most common statements that people make in the midst of trouble is, and they don't always say it out loud, but they often say it inside, is no one else knows what I'm going through. Trouble is very isolating and very lonely. Uh, trouble and loneliness tend to go together. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It just does. You know, I've heard, I've heard people talk about getting a cancer diagnosis and how they've got all these loving people around them and they just feel so alone. That's what trouble does splits you off and makes you an orphan and again you can see verses about this the whole way through scripture it's all over the place here's one from psalm 25 turn to me and be gracious to me for i am lonely and afflicted you see that the psalmist is going through trouble and he feels alone and what's he saying turn around and face me What's that? That's, I need your personal presence in the middle here because I feel all alone. Sounds like an orphan, right? Look, there's heaps more to say than that. And um, I don't have time for that today. Um, What I want to finish with this point is um, to help you to see the times where you're operating like an orphan where you've been split off from the personal presence of God. I remember years and years ago, 
sitting in a uh, restore group in, uh, in the church here and uh, a guy was sharing about his story, he was talking about his troubles and the way that he um, was kind of dealing with his troubles. Um, he, he talked about all the things that he had going on in his life to make his life go the way that he wanted it to go. He talked about being really busy. I was sitting there and I was, I mean, it was, I was just getting tired listening to him, to be honest, because his life, he was just running so hard. Um, and, and you just need to know that um, busy and tired and orphan, they kind of all tend to run together, like the orphan way of doing life. I sat and listened. I didn't really ask many questions. And then the more that this guy went on, the more I just went, this dude is just running like an orphan. He's just running like an orphan. How could I tell? Because everything was up to him. It was up to him to make sure that he was okay. It was up to him to make sure that his life went the way that his life was meant to go. And there wasn't actually any place for God. He had this whole system going on. And it was an orphan system. And and I wish I could tell you that he was the last person that I've ever heard where I've thought that. (laughs) Right? And I don't mean that in a critical way because I get in this kind of system as well too where you just have this whole system running and you've got all these plates spinning and it's like, because that's the orphan thing, right? No one's got your back. No one's got your back. It's all up to you. And you've got to make it happen. If you're going to get the life that you, that you want, you're going to have to get after it and you're going to have to work really hard and you're going to have to be really careful because there's lots of dangers out there and there's lots of people out there and no one's coming to help you out. There isn't any place for God in that. You don't, like, you don't need him. I wonder if you know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about. And I'm not saying that in an arrogant way. Right? I know it because I can see it in my own life. Here's a few words that just run your eyes over. See, this is orphan kind of operation. Busy. Tired. Lonely. Plate spinning. Anxious, no room for God, exposed to danger, self-isolating, reactive, ongoingly vigilant, like just hyper-vigilant, no need of God, fending for yourself. You ever been an orphan? Ever run like an orphan? If you could say yes to that, I can. If you've ever been orphaned by what you've done, by what other people have done to you, by other things that have happened to you, Uh, Jesus has good news for you. He says to people who run like an orphan, I'll come to you. That's what he says. I'll come to you. I want to finish here this morning. Uh, um, Orphaned. Um, See, if being orphaned is about being disconnected from the personal presence of God, then being unorphaned is about being brought back in. Right? And um, I, I went looking for the antonym of orphaned you know, the opposite of orphan. It's like, what, what are we going to go with here? How, what word can we use? Because I'm like, I need one for my last point. Right? 
And do you know uh, when I went looking for the antonym of orphan, you know what one of the antonyms was, one of the opposites of orphan was, it was embraced. Right? Yeah, that's interesting. And there's some blokes in here just going, yeah, I'm not a hugger. And I'm not. All right? I'm just not a hugger. And so maybe think bear hug. Maybe. But it captures something, doesn't it? Those who are on the outside get to be on the inside in a really, really incredible way. And if that, if you just can't get your head around, if you're a dude and you're like under 40 and you just go embraces like, like seriously, no, I don't do embraces. I just imagine Jesus coming close to you, coming near to you. You see, if you look at the whole Bible, the whole Bible is the story of people wandering and becoming orphaned and Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity coming to them, coming close to them. And there's times in the Bible where it looks like it's over. I mean, you read the Old Testament and sometimes you go, this could be it. But then he comes again. Then he comes again. Why? Because that's what he's like. There's no power over the top of God forcing him to do stuff. He keeps coming back to you over and over and over and over again because that's what he's like. And so when you get orphaned and you get out there and you're running in this whole system and there's no space for him, just know that he's going to be coming. He's going to be coming. You can bank on it. Put your life on it. That's what he does. We ended up finding our boy at the Gallery of Modern Art. Uh, and you know, he wasn't lost too long. He, um, it would have been about five minutes, but uh, if you're a parent, you know that's an eternity. Five minutes is an eternity. Um, we knew about the danger and we knew he was vulnerable. Um, he told me yesterday, um, he went up, he walked up to a security guard and... Um, we, we came and found him sitting on a bench next to a security guard. What did we do? Well, we picked him up and we hugged him, didn't we? And in that moment, he became unorphaned. Do you see that? And it was a bit of a bear hug, right? Almost one of those ones, you know, when someone hugs you really hard and you exhale? <laughs> Almost one of those which found... Our lost son, right? And you know, there's a story that Jesus tells about a son who got lost. But it's a little different because this son didn't innocently wander off from his parents. This son told his dad that he was better off dead and that he wanted his inheritance now. He was better off without him. This son got his money and he chose to become an orphan that's what he did that's what it was saying to the father you're i'm better off if you were dead just give me my money you're dead to me now and he chose to become an orphan what did he do well probably with money in his bag he walked away from his father and his brother by choice What happened? Well, if you know the story, 
you know that the money that he had from his father made his life go for a little while, right? But then it ran out and there was a famine. And you're reading the story and you go, surely that would make him go back to his father. But you need to know that this boy was an orphan through and through. He made his bed and he has to lie in it now. So he got resourceful and he thought, I'm just going to get a job. And, and I'll take any job. And it's a disgusting job for a Jew, and that's feeding pigs. And then he became so hungry that he longed to eat the pig's food. (laughs) And he woke up. A little bit, right? Because even when he woke up, he was still thinking like an orphan. Here's the section of the story. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Can you see it? See, orphan thinking... And often operating run deep in all of us. And it ran deep in this guy. Why? Because he's just working out how to get food. That's why. He's not coming back really to sort things out with his father. He's working out how he can get some food because he's really, really hungry. And he's worked out the speech that you're going to say so that you can get back into the father's house and actually get some food. Can you see it? Still arranging to look after and care for himself. That's what orphans do, right? That's what orphans do. They're resourceful. They work out how to look after themselves. So what does he do? He heads home. And as he gets close to home, something unheard of happens. Something happens that no one does for a son like this. The father runs to the son. Or he comes to him, doesn't he? You see, the story looks like the son's going back to the father, but he's not really. He's going back to the kitchen. And my boys know what that's like. The story really isn't about the son going back to the father. It's really about the father coming to the son. Here's the way Jesus puts it. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Do you know what word other versions use for that? Embraced. He was never going to become unorphaned by going back to his father with the intent that he had. And even if he had the intent to sort things out with his father, he was still going to be dependent upon what the father did. He needed the father to come to him, didn't he?
if the father didn't come to him, he wouldn't have been unorphaned. I want you to remember this. I desperately want you to remember this. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit will not leave you as an orphan. Never. They will always come to you. Bank your life on the fact that he's coming over the rise. He's coming to help you. I wonder if the music team could come up. I um, I just want to pray for some of you, actually, so is, is what I want to do. Um, very keen to see the Lord put some air in your tires and uh, I think he's going to do that I think he has been doing it but what I want to do today is um, I just want to pray for anyone who feels like they need the Lord to come to them and it doesn't matter what the story is maybe you're just a bit distant in your relationship with God maybe you know, you've come to church today and you're just on the back end of failing in a whole bunch of areas and you have actually turned your face away from the Lord this week. Maybe trouble has come your way. Maybe it's trouble that you brought on yourself. Maybe it's trouble that's come to you. And you're just sitting there and you're just going, I, I want the Lord to come to me. And you know, there's a scripture in James where James says, uh, draw near to the Lord and he'll draw near to you. You know, what we're doing here is we're doing a relationship with God where we lean in and he leans in. We need him to come to us, you know. We can scratch something up like the prodigal son did. Pretty sketchy. But then he just overwhelms us, doesn't he? In the best possible way with his love and his care and bringing us in. Last week when, um, this might be a bit out of the blue for some of you, but for those who were here last week and I closed in prayer, I didn't tell you, but I was seeing a picture as I was closing in prayer last week and what I was praying was coming out of the picture that I saw. I thought about posting it online this week um, just so that you'd hear about it, but uh, I didn't do it, so I, I'm just going to tell you now. Last week as I was praying at the end, some of you remember I talked about a drought and I talked about... Um, rain and that God's hope would come down by the Holy Spirit and, and we'd, I think I used the word drown in hope and that's a bit of a nasty kind of collision of categories really to be honest and that wasn't actually what I was seeing last week. What I was seeing last week uh, in the room as I was praying is a deluge of hope like a, a really heavy like cloudburst kind of just dumping down and there was so much that the room filled up and hope got as high as everyone's necks. And it didn't drown people, but it got as high as everyone's necks. And that's why I prayed the way I prayed for you last week. And I'm jealous for you that you get everything that God would have for you. 
And so that's why I want to pray today. I want to pray for anyone who's like, I need the Lord to come to me. And I'm, if you're a Christian and you fit one of those categories or you just got your own category, you're just going, I just want God to come to me. I need to live in the personal presence of God. I want to pray for you. And if you're not a Christian today, it's still time to get baptized. No, seriously. Oh, actually, I am serious. Um, if you're not a Christian today, you could stand. You could say, oh, Jesus sounds really good to me, and I'd like him to come to me. And you could, you could just be one of those two. So... Here's, here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to take heaps of time, but I just want to pray for you. And uh, if, you, if you want, for whatever reason, for your reason, if you want the Lord to come to you, uh, I just invite you to stand where you are. And don't feel any pressure. And like you're not a bad person if you don't stand up. All right? We understand. Maybe you're really tight with Jesus. All right? But if you're sitting there and you're going, I, I want the personal presence of the Lord to be with me. I want to live in that. Why don't you, why don't you stand and I'll pray for you. It's a trick, right? The reason why I did this is because I want Jesus to see you. It's not for anyone in the room and it's not for me. I want Jesus to see you. And so I'm going to pray. And what I'm going to ask is I'm going to ask him to notice you and to draw near. Jesus, there are people standing here right now and you can see them and they're saying by standing that they want you near. And Jesus, I don't know their situation. I don't know where they're at. I don't know if there's blockages in there that are blocking them from from being near to you and to living in your personal presence. But you do. And so, Holy Spirit, I really want you to just be active and at work in them and be doing what is necessary for you and them to be close. Jesus, I want you to come to these people. Even, even right now. nothing that brings you more joy than than people who put their hand up and say I want to be near Jesus I thank you that you died on the cross to cleanse us so that being near to a holy righteous God is not dangerous but it's great to be brought into the family to be embraced is good Pray for their week. 
pray that this would be a good week of walking in your presence with you. If you're standing, um, can you, you just talk to Jesus and tell him that you want him to be close? Just do it yourself. You don't have to do it out loud, but just do it yourself. And, and you could ask him how to do that if there's something that, that you need to do. Jesus says to you, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Tr trust him that he will. And look for him.